Welcome, everybody. Uh, my name is Nate Jones. I'm the CEO of Structurally, and welcome to the what are we on? The fourth episode of the I, the uh, the top ISA series. I think we're actually on. Is it six? I can't even remember. A lot. We're on. We're on a number. We're on some number of the ISA series. <laughs> yes, whatever number it is. Uh, we're excited to be here with Robbie T from Hatch. Um, as usual, joining us uh, today with uh, Tyler Straisner from the Novak team at EXP Realty in Everett, Washington. Robbie, give us the, the intro to him or Tyler, reintroduce yourself. For sure. So, um, you know, obviously I go by Robbie T for one simple reason. My last name uh, sounds like the pharmaceutical drug and I joke that it's, uh, you know, sounds like that with all the problems and none of the money. Um, so I have no qualms with calling Tyler, Tyler S. Um, so Strasner, Strasner, whatever your crap is, I'm just going to call you Tyler S to this whole interview. Um, if it goes yep. do it, <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, super excited. Uh, we were supposed to have Chris, uh, on today and something that came up a family emergency. Um, and, uh, frankly, uh, super excited cause I reached out to Tyler. Um, I've had the privilege of coaching, him now for a while. And although he is somewhat new to the game, um, not been doing this for years yet, uh, his skills are unparalleled for being at this uh, level of the game. And uh, he naturally gets it. Um, it's deceiving, but he's a tall man. Um, if he were to stand up, he'd kind of disappear on us and uh, <laughs> is a former basketball coach and fell into the ISA world. But uh, I've said enough about you. I uh, would love for you to kind of share about yourself, Tyler. Yeah, um, I, right there. I come from a huge basketball background, uh, lots of coaching, lots of playing, um, plenty of injuries, which ended my career. Um, and, you know, a lot of that just kind of translates into what I'm good at now. And mm. that's relating with a, a lot of different people. Um, but then also just the personal competition with yourself 24 seven and you know, the, the performance aspect has always been, you know, something that's been there in my life and has been a motivation for me to keep pushing forward. I love it. And you guys have a, a pretty large ISA department, don't you guys, Tyler? It's uh, how many ISAs now? Uh, well, we've got three ISAs now. In addition to you or three total? Uh, three total. Three so total. I'm, I'm one of those three. Awesome. And you oversee that department, correct? Correct. Yeah. I love it. Good, good. So I, I think one of the, the coolest things I want to make sure we hop into today is you talked about how you, you were a coach for basketball. And mm -hmm. uh, I'd love to hear how, have, how, how is that coaching of basketball translated to coaching your, and leading your ISAs? Well, um, I mean, I, I really believe that coaching is coaching. doesn't really matter what you're coaching. Um, mm -hmm. you know, Early on in my coaching career, um, I, I started off coaching third grade boys and went all the way up through high school coaching boys. And then I made the abrupt change to be the varsity head girls coach at my old high school. Ah. And one of the questions that I just, for some reason, it just kept coming up of, well, how are you planning on adjusting from coaching boys to coaching girls? And my answer was it basketball, basketball is still basketball. It doesn't matter who's playing it. It's the same, it's the same thing. Right. Um, but then making the switch to being an ISA and uh, leading our ISA squad, sure. I've really found that coaching is just coaching. It doesn't matter what's what you're coaching. So, um, you know, everything that I do now is still things that I did when I was a basketball coach um, mm -hmm. from, you know, putting trainings together, what people need to work on, observing every single day. That's kind of one of the biggest things that I do as a coach. One of the habits was, you know, watching the players as they're walking in the door. Are they sluggish? Do they have a hop in their step? What's their gait like? Are they excited? Do they come in together? Do they come in separate? There's so many things to watch. Sure. And I, I still do that with the ISA squad now. Um, mm. And how, how they walk in the door is kind of that immediate, oh, today's going to be a good day. Or <laughs> I, I might need to throw in some motivation into the day. Uh, I love that. Good, good. So, I mean, if you were to summarize, uh, you said it a couple of times, coaching is coaching. Um, mm -hmm. 
And what is coaching? And obviously you've coached boys, you've coached girls, basketball. Um, there is one difference between the two, by the way, the balls are slightly different in size. Slightly. <laughs> slightly. slightly. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I, that's all I know about basketball. Uh, let's be real. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyways, um, what does coaching really mean? Uh, if you were to break that down, what do you think coaching really is? If you were to summarize it? Yeah. Um, really the, the act of coaching, uh, I really think it's one building the relationship. And if you don't have the relationship, the trust and the respect, Mm -hmm. no matter how good of a coach you are, you know, the technique, you know, um, it, it, it won't be heard. So that, that's really the first step is really building that relationship with whoever you're coaching. Sure. Um, but then past that, you, you have to know them so well that you know exactly how to coach them. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm sure that you can relate to this, Robbie, is that how you coach me isn't necessarily how you coach somebody else. You have to take a different approach. Mm-hmm. Um, and understanding really where the person comes from. Um, and Sometimes knowing them a little bit better than what they know themselves, mm. uh, sometimes pulling out those harder things that they kind of ignore or, you know, just kind of neglected along the way. Um, but I mean, that really is the act of coaching. I really don't think it's the, the telling them what to do. It's <laughs> this will resonate asking the right questions to lead them to figure it out themselves, because that's really where people learn best. Mm, I like that. So one's relationships, two's taking a customized approach, and then three, as opposed to telling it, it I think the the phrase I always use is you help them self discover. And yep. yeah, the funny part is, is that being an ISA, frankly, we could just call ourselves coaches. That's really yep. if you think about what ISAs do in the real estate process, is they're just coaching somebody. And uh, one big aha that that's really played into this is. Um, if you're coaching someone, stories change naturally over time, right? Yep. And when we're having calls with leads or you're coaching somebody, the reality is, is that the story should be changing. New information mm-hmm. should be coming to the table. That means you're doing your job well. Yep. Um, but uh, maybe we'll just petition to change it to ISAs or coaches. It's the new label. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and... The, the, when talking with a basketball player, you know, really figuring out why they play the sport, you know, why do they love it? What's kind of their motivation? It's the same thing when you're talking with a client is, you know, why, why are they really wanting to do this? And so now once you have that, you know how to, to continue forward and keep coaching them through the process to achieve what they really want. If you don't know that, you might be leading them in the wrong direction. Mm, I love that. Nate, go ahead. Yeah, no, I'm just, I'm just taking it in. That's, that's pretty interesting. Uh, could you just give the listeners a little bit of a, a high level about um, your team setup? You know, where are you getting leads? Some of the, the tech that you're using? What's, a, what's the day-to-day process look like for you and your ISAs? Yeah, so the, the day-to-day process, we, you know, we come in here, we're all in at 745, going through role plays together. Um, and then once we start hitting the phones, uh, really just kind of quick tech stuff, uh, we use Infusionsoft as our CRM, and we get leads from many different uh, lead sources, you know, from, you know, uh, Billow, Redfin, you know, all of that stuff, sign calls. Um, our ISAs actually handle all the sign calls. Um, so that, that's been kind of a not so much of a recent change, but it's going to, it's been a game changer for the ISAs. We've had a lot of success with just us handling it. Mm. Uh, but as far as the, you know, handling leads in, as a whole, uh, the ISAs aren't the only ones getting leads. We're kind of a, a hybrid, so to speak, where agents are still handling new leads. ISAs are handling new leads. Um, it really kind of helps one, hold everybody accountable, but it's not like the agents are just sitting there waiting for appointments either. Um, so we kind of work on a floor shift system where you're, you have designated hours of when you're responsible to make sure that no lead falls through the cracks. Mm. Um, and you're, you know, you're the a hundred percent responsible for making sure that those leads are contacted. Um, 
and then everybody's dialing uh, almost all day. Um, really just trying to create as many conversations as we can. That's, that's interesting. I know that's, that's a different model than uh, what Hatch takes um, in that ISAs touch every lead first. I'm, I'm kind of curious to hear what your opinion, Robbie, is <laughs> on that, on letting agents take the leads directly. So uh, what I'll do is, Tyler, if you want to just lean to your right, I think it's your right. Yes, you're right. Um, there are very few real estate teams that hire really that hire agents that come in and know they're going to be making the calls like an ISA. And, um, Mike and and Rachel have built a culture that this is their absolute standard. And, And Tyler, um, I think you guys are unique that this is normal in your world. And if somebody can't, um, make the calls as an agent. They don't cover their floor shifts. Uh, if I had to guess, they're not going to be around long. It's a part of your culture that you're going to be doing that work. Um, so when you come in as an agent in your guys' world, you're signing up for that and you know what's coming. So I, I think that's the first thing I would say. Um, and you know, there, there's obviously literally a thousand different ways to play the, this ball game. Mm-hmm. But I think as long as, you know, the ISA rule was created for one simple reason. Like, let's just be real. Um, because when agents get super busy, the first thing that falls off is lead generation. Um, and that's why the ISA rule was really created was um, agents weren't making enough calls. They weren't doing it. And and what I love about Mike and them is they've hybrided it. And what we've seen happen over time is the ISAs are getting access to more and more opportunities. You guys are just slowly earning it, which is the best way to do it. Um, Where I see, and I used to advocate for this, by the way, as a coach, I used to advocate hire an ISA, shut off the flow of lead to your agents and give it all to your ISAs. And that has disastrous consequences. (laughs) Uh, I'll own that. And I've told many people I made a mistake there. And the reason is, is that you bring an ISA in and, the reality is, is they're like a new 15 to 16 year old driver. And if you just give them the keys to a brand new Range Rover, AKA the brand new high quality leads, um, two things are going to happen. Number one is they're going to crash it because they're a 14 to 15 year old driver. And now they're driving a hundred thousand dollar Range Rover. What did you expect to happen? (laughs) Um, but secondly, the reality is if you want to be a successful ISA, um, you can't just convert the Range Rovers. You got to be willing to go and drive the uh, 1990s Honda Civic. Sorry if you drive a Civic. Um, I used to drive a crappy Matrix. And now I've upgraded to a somewhat new Subaru. <laughs> family stuff, right? Got to have a family safe car. The point being is if you give uh, an ISA all those brand new leads right away, they accidentally crash the car and then they become a little bit entitled because if you give that kid a Range Rover and then you say, go drive that, that, um, junker, they're going to say, nah, they're, they're going to be frustrated with it. And you know, I learned that lesson firsthand at the expense of some of my clients and it sucks. Um, it, but now I advise go the path, go the path that they're going of have the ISA earn the opportunities, um, to get the lead. So give them the crap, have them earn it and eventually get the better stuff. Yeah. Uh, and uh, to kind of build on that, you know, giving a kid a, a Ferrari as his first car, you know, knowing how much power is in a Ferrari, they're never going to get out of second gear. Yeah. And, and so learning how to drive a stick the hard way when the clutch sticks, you know, it's, you're, you're going to learn how to appreciate the, the smoother clutch. And it's, it's going to be when you start getting those you know, newer lead sources, you're going to be able to hold the conversation so much better because you've had the, you know, I kind of call them little fist fights within the conversation of objection after objection after objection. But then you get these leads that are more motivated and that right away the, the answer is yes, I do want to be making a move. Yeah. Now you actually know how to handle that conversation because you've had so many hard ones in the past. I love it. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. It makes, it makes a lot of sense. And I know we've kind of brought up that, uh, that Range Rover analogy before and it hits home every time. Um, Tyler, can you kind of talk through like what, what is a, what is the life cycle, the career path of an ISA and an agent, um, on your team? 
Um, so really, Ed, when Mike and Rachel started this team, we, I really, they had the envision of we're going to be the absolute Navy SEALs and we're not going to be like, you know, SEAL Team 3. We're going to be SEAL Team 6. And we're not just the elite. We're actually the elite of the elite. So really, the, the standards that we have are extremely high. Uh, sometimes people come in here with the gung-ho attitude and within a week, um, I mean, I've seen it first day, um, you know, they, they decide that this isn't quite for them. You know, they might be well-suited somewhere else, but as far as the standards that we have, um, really it, it takes somebody who's a, a little, I guess, screw loose to really, to really dive into this team. Um, and you know, start showing up and getting shit done right away. Yeah. Um, and to kind of talk about some of the standards of, you know, we, we keep agents on the phone for a reason. You know, the number one thing that we've seen that people leave over is because of the phone, whether it's they're scared of it or they can't produce on it. Mm-hmm. And so that's why we start everybody there. Um, you know, as, as the ISA team, I've really encouraged all, all of us ISAs that when we have new agents come in, that we're the ones setting the standards on the phone because we're the specialists on the phone. And you know, the harder we work, the you know, higher call volumes, more appointments, more conversations, you know, they get to hear us more, which improves their ability on the phone too. Um, so that really the ISA team, as far as the phone goes, we're the ones who really set the standard, whether it's, you know, quota, so to speak, or it's just, this is what we do. Just because you make so many phone calls doesn't mean you get to leave. You're here. You know, we make, we make money off of appointments. So do they, um, they just get to take it a few steps further. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, I want I want to dive into that real quick. I, I think one of the the coolest things um, that that you said was you guys didn't want to be elite. You wanted it to be elite of the elite. And you talked <laughs> about how you guys have um, people that come into your world with a little bit of a screw loose. Um, and really, that screw loose, I think, uh, if we were to find something, is some form of hunger. Um, <laughs> there's got to be something that causes you to push yourself through a ton of discomfort almost every single day in some way, shape or form. Yep. Um, and then of course the, the reality is when we, when we're hiring people, sometimes um, people say they're hungry and then they get into practice and uh, um, it's not there. And one of the biggest things I think really, and I'd love your perspective. Um, you said you have very high standards to kind of protect being the elite of the elite. I'd love to kind of hear some examples uh, of that, Tyler, of, you know, what does that standard look like and um, what teeth does it have? Because I've always said that, and we say in our coaching business, that a standard without a consequence is merely a suggestion. Mm -hmm. And I'd love to hear how you actually make it a standard. Yeah. So... I, the, the, as we've talked about, you know, our culture is huge and a, a lot of the times it's our culture that really kind of weeds people out and lets the cream rise to the top. Um, and so we're always in the office, agents, ISAs, we're in here, especially during the morning power hours, uh, you know, from eight to 11 agents are in the office. They aren't leaving. Um, and us ISAs are here all day. So we're kind of feeding off of everybody. You know, the energy is definitely high. We, we work hard and play hard. Um, but when it starts to, you know, just becoming playing hard and standards aren't being met, you know, for, for us ISAs, 200 phone calls a day, you know, a, a thousand a week, um, or, you know, you're having so like at least five appointments hold in the week. Um, because really you could set a hundred appointments in the week and none of them hold and it doesn't do you any good. Mm. So really having the stickability in your appointments is where it really helps the team. Mm. Um, so when, when that's not being met, uh, I mean, really for the ISA team and agents, you know, your, you know, kind of your gold nugget is a brand new lead. 
because mm-hmm. that first phone call in that first day is where most leads are converted. Mm-hmm. So that's the consequence. If you're not meeting certain standards, mm-hmm. then new leads get kind of taken away from you until you prove yourself otherwise. So, um, you know, floor shifts, you're, you're being taken off the of floor shifts. Agents, you know, they're coming off of the ISA round robin where if an ISA sets an appointment, you know, usually is a very good appointment. So having that taken away from an agent is kind of a detriment to them and their business. So those people really work to try to stay within the, the new leads, like the round robin for leads thing, you know, within floor shifts. And then for agents, it's, you know, making sure that they keep getting ISA set appointments. Mm. I like it. Um, what do you mind, uh, Tyler? You, you said the first thing that you really have high standards in regard to is your culture. Mm-hmm. And obviously culture is a very, it's, it's a buzzword throughout business. Um, yeah. And culture to you, to me, to somebody else could be drastically different. Um, yeah. So I'd love to hear what, you know, if you were to kind of briefly describe what your culture is just so we can have some perspective on, you know, mm-hmm. what is the, the Novak team um, culture really look like? Yeah. Um, can I jump yeah. in there? Another thing I want you to touch on that I know is that I took away from meeting you guys in Banff is your open office Tuesdays when you let other agents come in. Could you touch on those? Cause that's a really cool idea that I'd, yeah. I'd love people here. Yeah. That'd be cool. Yeah. So, um, I guess I'll try to explain our culture from those people that come in on Tuesdays, um, of what their first impressions are. Um, I guess if I were to sum, sum up the office in one word, it would be loud. Um, (laughs) we're, we're all together. Nobody has their own offices. Our, my desk is right next to the rest of the ISA squad. Um, so (laughs) everybody's having the conversations when we're working hard and we're, you know, killing the phones, creating conversations, we're all having conversations. So the office is loud, but then, you know, it's after that 11 AM and kind of put the phone down for a little bit, take the headset off, you know, let the ears cool down. Um, that's when like the, the humor and everybody starts to come out and, we start, you know, really relaxing together and there's jokes it's almost like a room full of brothers and sisters. We're all teasing each other, you know, getting in like those little sibling arguments. And, um, but it's when you have a group of people that, you know, when it's time to to work and everybody dives in head first, a hundred percent, and you're kind of going through the trenches together nobody's really left alone. But then also when you do make it out on the other side, we're, we're still there together and, you know, celebrating the wins, you know, ringing the bell, high-fiving. Um, I mean, I guess the best way for me to explain it is it, it's almost like a locker room experience. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of teasing. Um, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it really is a, a lot of fun, it, even though that you're you know working your ass off every single day and kind of the grind is, you know, wearing on you a little bit, your teammates are right there behind you and you know that the support's there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's a big thing within the culture is that if, if I don't trust you to have my back and I don't, I don't know if I want you there. Um, mm, truth. And kind of the, the thought process, especially when I'm interviewing ISAs is would I want to be friends with you outside of the office? Mm. You know, uh, I don't have kids yet, but I'm sure that when I do, would I trust you to babysit my kids? Mm. You know? Um, and that's something great that we've been able to have. I know the agents have it too, but the ISAs, we have a designated day where like we, we go out to lunch together and it's a, I mean, the best word is together right there. Um, I like it. Yeah. Yeah, loud, fun, playful. Um, and it sounds like you guys really deeply care about each other, uh, (laughs) above all else. Uh, I know that when you were at our, our mastermind in Banff, um, that's Chuck in your world. Um, and, uh, Chuck is a a lead agent on your team in some way, shape or form, right? Tyler. And the, the, the guy is, he's, he's a bigger dude. Um, Mm -hmm. he dressed so dapper. 
looks so good. And the dude just exudes love. Just you yeah. can tell that that he deeply cares um, about everyone, um, about everything he does. So, and obviously that that's at all levels of your organization, whether it's Rachel, Mike, you, um, and the rest of the team as well. There, I, I think that's another thing I'd say your culture really exists of is there's a lot of love in the place uh, for yep. each other. It's it's one of those things. I think the commonality we have, we're not as loud in our world, <laughs> but the fun and playful side and the love and caring, um, mm-hmm. it is super key. So that's great. Yeah. I love hearing that. Really yeah. quick. Could you explain what open office is? Yeah. Uh, so the, the open office, um, it's, uh, yeah, two, two Tuesdays out of the month where we have outside agents. Um, you know, a lot of times they're starting a team or, they're an individual agent just trying to find that next step within their business. Uh, Mike and Rachel uh, open up the conference room, open up the office, and they come in. It's a, a little bit more of a classroom setting where you really get to ask your direct questions of, you know, what lead sources should I be focusing on? What skill sets, you know, should I be improving What's working right now? What should I kind of anticipate down the road? Uh, I've been able to sit in on a couple of them. And really, they, they start from the, the moment that a lead comes in to until it's closed. And they go through the whole process of best practices. You know, it, really, if, if there's any question that you have about real estate, asking it to Mike and Rachel, you're going to get a very quality answer. Um, I know that I feel lucky enough to to learn uh, underneath them and really see they're like, they're the ones who created this culture. They're the ones who know their first year sold 75 homes between the two of them. And they know, they know how to get it done. They, they know how to get shit done. (laughs) That's awesome. I love it. A lot of people would, uh, would be fearful of giving their competitors that much inside information. I think that's pretty cool to, uh, to see how you guys open that up. Yeah. Well, and, and a big belief that I've brought from basketball is you, know, you should do what you do so well that you could give the other team your playbook and they still can't beat you with it yep. even just because you run it so well. Yep. So, I mean, it, it really, our culture is kind of starting to expand outside of the team of we don't just want each other to succeed. We want everybody else to succeed too. So if we have the opportunity to help out some other agents, because ultimately we see it as our responsibility whether somebody works with us or not they need the best experience when it comes to buying or selling their home Mm -hmm. Um, so making sure that all the agents within our community are you know working at a top tier level that's that's awesome we're we're happy that we can do that yeah so if you're listening tyler wants you to succeed that's it (laughs) (laughs) i love it that's why he's here. <laughs> yep. I love it. Good, good. Uh, anything else you want to hit on regarding like their team and stuff, Nate, or should we switch gears a little bit? Yeah, go ahead and switch gears. So I, I'd kind of love, obviously being an ISA um, isn't always fine and dandy. It's not always the most fun thing. <laughs> um, you know, I, I'd love to, first off, maybe we, we start with what's your favorite part about, you know, of being an ISA and then what has been the most challenging piece uh, of being an ISA. So I'd love to hear both of those. Yeah. Uh, really, I think that, you know, the, the greatest challenge and the you know greatest success as an ISA, uh, you could talk to a hundred different people and they'll have a hundred different answers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, for me and my own experience, you know, the, the greatest you know, joy and success that I have is, you know, the, the true connection with other people. You know, I, I, I am a, a high eye. I do like to be around people. I do like talking with people. Um, so being able to do that and really building, uh, again, that relationship with somebody over the phone um, and truly connecting with that person. I mean, there's, there's times where you are, you're just completely surprised that somebody feels comfortable enough to tell you some of the things that they're telling you. Um, and so to be able to, to relate with somebody, um, even from a distance, you know, that, that's kind of one of those greatest things. Um, 
cool. but then also the 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 hardest thing as an ISA uh, for me is the the times where you hear some things going on in other people's lives. Um, you know, we you know, I've definitely come to terms with some of the reasons why people want or need to make a move are not going to be pleasant. Um, you know, the uh, you know an example actually this still kind of plays over in my head. It's still, it's really still there, but uh, it's a great example of uh, called this lady. She, she really needed to sell her home. It was like, like I need somebody out today. Uh, it, like it needed to happen fast. And so I kind of had to like pump the brakes a little bit. And well, okay. Like what, what's kind of the reason for, for the urgency here? Um, and had to go a couple layers deep, but eventually what, what came out was that her 11 year old daughter had died three months before and she can't stop seeing her daughter playing in the hallway. And so she just needed out of that house. Um, and like it, like now telling it, it, st it still hits. And so for me, um, that like, you've told me plenty of times, you know, don't be the sponge, be the mirror. Um, and I'll, it's so easy for me to be a sponge. And that's what makes me so, I guess, successful at, at relating with people. Mm. But again, now going into the next phone call, I'm still holding on to that. Yes. Um, so kind of letting those types of things go is, I would say the absolute hardest for me. Um, if, you know, I, if I had an ISA that, you know, oh, okay, you know, onto the next phone call and it didn't, didn't affect them at all, I'd be looking at them like, you don't have a heart. Like, you're, you're a psycho. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. That's crazy. So, what, you know, just an, an off question on that. Um, what percent of people do you think are buying for fun reasons? And what percent of people are not buying for fun reasons uh, or mm. selling, of course? Um, yeah if you were to put a number on it, you know, what percent are really doing it because they're happy and it's something that's, you know, a positive thing and, uh, AKA they're really full on pursuing pleasure in some way, shape or form. And then mm -hmm. how many people are trying to escape some form of pain, uh, from your experience? Yeah. Um, I mean, really it, if I had to split decision, I, I would, I would say that it's 50, 50. Yeah. Um, and really it, those, those are the only two reasons why somebody really is making a move. They're running away from pain or they're running towards joy. Yeah. A, it's up to us to figure out which one is going on so we can help them and lead them in the right direction. Yeah. Um, you know, the so many divorces, but then also so many people just got married and they want to buy their first home. Yep. You know, a uh, baby was born or somebody passed away. You know, those are four very common you know, stories that, that we hear on, on really a daily basis. Yeah. It, for some reason, 50, 50 has always been the number in my mind as well. I'd be um, interested to do that on the structurally side because mm -hmm. we actually, you know, can tag messages and we do, mm -hmm. and we have things like mentioned tragedy versus like new child and new job. Mm -hmm. So we have a pretty granular look and if we do one of those on all of our, uh, all of our conversations, that might be a fun uh, data uh, analysis that we could run to get uh, to prove if the 50, 50 hypothesis is close. I like it. So. That'd be cool to see. Yeah. And, and I think the bigger thing is the thing we should probably talk about is the fun ones are easy. Like if they're yeah. got married, that's easy. Anybody can do that. Where you earn your money is navigating the nasty conversations. I've, I've always called them the D's, debt, divorce, death. Uh, mm -hmm. It just seems like all the bad words start with D. Um, <laughs> hopefully nobody's yeah. name starts with D here. Um, but it's just death, divorce, and, and debt. Those three things have really um, have significantly impact people. And those are tough conversations to have. And... Um, that's where an ISA, a great ISA earns their money because you can't make assumptions in those conversations. In the fun ones, you make assumptions, you'll be fine. In the tough ones, if you make assumptions um, and uh, if you don't listen, the, it, it, I highly doubt you're going to convert that lead. Those people are going to walk out the door. Yeah. 
No, I, I definitely 100% there. You know, when, when somebody gets married, everybody, oh my God, congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> but when somebody says, yeah, my, my husband just passed, it, the last thing that they want to hear is, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Yep. Like, if I hear that on the phone, I'm, no, you're not. Like, <laughs> you don't. You don't know me. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't. So that that's probably one of the hardest things at the beginning of those conversations is to not say you're, you're sorry, right? And to be okay with not saying it, because um, yeah. a lot of times you want to say it so bad, but really listening to them and asking the questions of, you know, how are you doing? Mm-hmm. You know, I've. And if you have an instance where you can directly relate to that, you know, just say, I, you know, I've been through something similar. How, you know, how are you doing? Mm. You know, um, that's, that's definitely one of the biggest things. For some reason, I'm a magnet for these conversations. <laughs> um, so I, I've definitely had my fair share of practice um, over the last 12 months. Yeah. I think on that note, the, I listened to a call once where somebody said that their, their mother died and the some person's response was in the call, I'm sorry. I know what you're going through. My mom died too. And even if your mom dies, that person doesn't want to hear that because your relationship with your own mom is not the same that they had. Um, it's unfortunately it's dismissive. Um, and it's a script we've been taught. And if you really think about it, I'm sorry is, really for the convenience of the person saying it so you can move on. It's not for the advantage of the person that that's actually going through some pain. Um, And and if you all want some help on that, go check out Brene Brown and just look out empathy versus sympathy because she is the OG of empathy and and gets this better than anybody else. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, there's just so many, for me, and when I've talked to our ISAs, it, it's almost always we come up with 50-50s. So, Nate, uh, I'm excited to see the data you all have um, in your your universe to see what those numbers look like. Yeah, yeah, that would be interesting. Um, yeah, so this was kind of an interesting. I know before we were before we jumped on, we yeah. said hey, let's cover let's cover the the, the tough calls. <laughs> I said, what do you mean phone calls or like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, actually, just covered tough calls, like yeah. actual phone calls. So, yeah. <laughs> how about we how about we move into tough decisions? What are the tough decisions that you have to make as an ISA? Yeah, um, I mean, it, as I said earlier, our, our culture is huge. the The first thing that I do is really try to build a close relationship with ISAs and agents, and um, you know, kind of be that kind of, kind of lead from the front and try to know how to motivate them and encourage them to, to keep moving forward. So you build such a strong bond with people when they do come in that now when those standards are not being met repetitively, then it's time to start thinking about that tough decision of, you know, are they the culture fit? You know, and uh, are there, are there, are they meeting standards? Um, you know, and really making that hard decision of do they stay or should they go? Um, and that that's always such a, like, it, it's a hard decision because it's like you're firing your sister. You know, you like, you don't do business with family for that specific reason. But when you have such a strong culture, you kind of start to become a family. Um, so when you're having those hard conversations with your your own teammates, that it really starts to feel like that you're firing your, your sister or your aunt or whoever it may be. Mm-hmm. But in, in all reality, uh, you know, kind of relating it to the types of phone calls that we have of knowing exactly why they're here and why they're working so hard and sometimes just spinning their tires, trying to get some traction um, to, to know that, is is huge in these conversations because sometimes it might be best for them to achieve that somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And by keeping them around, you're, you know, one, you're just delaying the inevitable, but two, you're holding them back because your culture and your environment and the position that they're in might not be the best position for them to achieve what they really want to do in life. 
Mm-hmm. Um, that rationalization doesn't make it any easier, no. but um, yeah, you know, it's it's a great way to kind of think through it and really be coming from the perspective of we want what is best for you. This isn't an this isn't a us decision. It's a we decision, which is huge. You know, one of the the mantras out there in business is hire fast, fire fast. Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts, Tyler, on the mantra of hire fast and fire fast. Oh, can you hear me? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. You guys there? Yeah, we can hear you, just not see you. <laughs> <laughs> You still see me, Robbie? I can. Can you see me and hear me? Yeah, that's weird. That is weird. He's just frozen. That's huh. a good photo. I'm going to take a photo of that. Well, while, mom, while he's frozen, unless he comes back, we'll we'll pick that question up. Do you want to answer Debbie's question, Robbie? It's a good one for you. So what is a good response when dealing with a D? When you hear that terrible news, what is a good uh, response to acknowledge it without derailing the conversation too much? Um, I think the first thing you have to really do here is, is we need to know that Ds are almost always of two different types. They're either a DI um, or a DC. And really, I, I think knowing the difference um, is key. The way you're going to tell the difference is an I tends to be more of a social direct person, um, but they talk more with um, some feelings and um, they tend to be a little more outgoing. The DC tends to be more quiet, analytical, soft, and they're talking um, in details. So I think the first thing you really got to do is you got to properly mirror and match um, what I've always said with, with DCs, what we talk about with actually with DIs, but we just talked about absolutely plays of um, role-playing it where Tyler said something along the lines of uh, how are you doing with that? Um, sometimes I know in, in my case, when somebody's gone through hell, um, you know, oh, dealing with the DI. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, absolutely. Okay, I see. Um, th- this helps either way. Thanks, Michelle, for that that uh, clarification. Um, I think sometimes it's okay to let them know. Yeah, I, I misunderstood it. Uh, sometimes it's okay to let them know. Um, I don't even know what to say right now, um, but I appreciate you sharing that with me. Um, that's a common response. Um, I know in my case, um, I was talking to a father. And um, they were looking to move and sell their home, very similar to Tyler's situation, because they had accidentally backed over their kid and killed their child. And there's nothing to say to fix that. There's nothing you're going to say that's going to do it. And I I don't remember exactly what I said, um, but what I remember is I didn't say I'm sorry. Um, I, 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 there was silence and I said, I, I don't even know what to say right now. Um, I, I appreciate you telling me that. And what I've found um, is the silence in that moment will be one second or two seconds. And it feels like it's 50. <laughs> it feels like it's going to last an eternity. Um, what I have found is when I've done, because I used to, when I used to say that I'm sorry, to a death divorce is it creates, it just, it moves on and there's no depth to it. And the same thing happened uh, in a conversation I had um, with, uh, and I did a Ted talk on this actually with a, an elderly lady whose husband passed away in a motorcycle accident. And I think what happens if you say, I'm sorry, you might be able to move on and get maybe some more logistical details of what they want to do, but you're not going to build a connection with that human being. And I think what makes us human is us being compassionate, connected human beings and being empathetic. It, what it does is it drives um, connection and sympathy drives disconnection. So uh, on top of that, um, go and watch, go read Brene Brown stuff. Um, but empathy versus sympathy is super key. 
Um, and I, I hope you all take this and it's not just for the D's, the death, divorce, debt. Um, it, it applies to when your spouse or your friends are going through a crappy day. I, I know that, um, a lot of us want to just fix things. I know I'm a, I fall victim to that. And sometimes someone wants to be just heard and really heard. So that'd be my, my couple of thoughts in that. Thanks for that clarification again, Michelle. Appreciate it. <laughs> Tyler, you can hear us now, right? Yes. Cool. Yeah, there you are. You want to ask that question one more time, Robbie? What was it? Um, what are your thoughts on higher, higher, fast, fire fast? Yeah, what, what I was asking, Tyler, was there's a common mantra in, in business of, of higher, fast, fire fast. And <laughs> I would love to hear your perspective on uh, higher, fast, fire fast. Yeah, uh, I mean, on, we, we were actually having this conversation actually just yesterday uh, as a leadership squad. It's it's kind of funny. It it, it really shows with all all of our experiences is when you, you know it's time because for about the last thirty six hours you just know that it's going to happen whether you you've been part of the decision or from the outside looking in. Um, that's what's so great about our culture is that how that person is operating within the culture will tell you what you need to do next. Um, and then on the hiring side, how they integrate themselves into the culture. Um, so we, we definitely, you know, we do hire fast. Um, we try to get people into the office as fast as possible. Uh, we have people shadow and kind of try to drop them in the culture as a test run. Um, and if they fit, awesome. If not, we got the answer right now. Um, but, you know, as, as the team grows, as we progress, things change. You know, one of the things with the Novak team is that it, you're going to have to get used to change if you're not used to it already. Um, and so that when those changes are happening, the team's growing. A lot of times, the, the team kind of outgrows the individual. Um, and you know, the, the culture again, will start to, to bring those people to light and kind of it really, our culture is, is just an arrow. It, that's really what we see it as. And it really makes things very obvious, um, and easier to detect. Cool. Got it. Nate, you got any other questions you want to make sure we hit on today? I don't think I do, but if anyone does have one, Feel free to, to shoot it our way now or forever hold your peace. Uh, we might be able to, to get to it quickly, but I know uh, we're probably going to wrap it up here shortly, and I know we, uh, we like to wrap it up in a certain way, so <laughs> go ahead and start that up, Robbie. I love it. So, Tyler, thanks again. Last minute, coming in clutch, uh, showing up. Um, appreciate it uh, a ton. Uh, it's cool to hear you, got, you share about your culture and what you guys are doing. Um, out there on the, the West Coast. Um, what we always like to, to ask, um, since I'm not seeing any other questions, is, um, you know, what is something that makes you nerdy? And uh, my favorite piece is, would you prefer Star Wars, Game of Thrones, or other? Maybe something Ooh. else. Oh, okay. Um, well, first, uh, I guess that, like the nerdy thing that I do, we kind of touched on this earlier is with uh, music and the lyrics. I like finding the double entendres in there and you know, just all I, for some reason, language is something that has fascinated me, especially recently. Um, you know, I, I see that the ISA position kind of revolves around the language you use. So that vocabulary is important. Um, and going into to music, um, you know, it's, it's very fascinating. I, honestly, I'll, I've sat there for hours listening to the same song, just kind of dissecting what they're actually talking about. So the, the story behind the music is, has always fascinated me. That's cool. I like it. And any, what, are, uh, what are your favorite books? Any books to recommend for us? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, definitely any Dr. Seuss book, uh, I'd say it's great. <laughs> um, awesome. Uh, um, my, my favorite book, um, is actually, uh, 
one of the first books that I really got kind of almost uh, like fascinated with. Uh, it's called The Hurricane. Uh, it's actually about a boxer who, professional boxer, was about to fight for the championship. Um, and he had, his nickname was The Hurricane. And he actually got framed for a murder that he didn't commit not too far like before the his fight for the, for the belt um and went to prison and then just these random people came through and and helped um I, that's kind of i've never been like a fiction reader um but for uh a, a, like a personal development you know one that's big on our team is uh extreme ownership and then uh, definitely follow that up with the dichotomy of leadership. Definitely those two books together. You'll, you'll be able to grab a lot of nuggets out of those. Mm, awesome. I love it. Well, cool. Yeah. Um, Tyler, I really appreciate your time today. doesn't look like there's any other questions. Do you, do you guys have anything, uh, any final thoughts to add? Oh man. Mm. Tyler, you go first. If you got any. Um, well, I didn't answer the Star Wars or, yeah, what, what was that? How dare you? Star Wars or Game of Thrones or something else? Yeah, uh, if I had to choose between Star Wars or Game Game of Thrones, I'm definitely going Star Wars. Um, and then, but if I were to choose anything over it, especially right now, so I just binge watch the third season of Stranger Things. The yeah. show's awesome. Awesome. Stranger Things. I haven't even got around to it yet. I need to do that. Yeah. Yeah, you so. need to. Awesome. Well, cool. I appreciate your time, Robbie and Tyler. Um, for all of you listening, um, again, this will be sent out to you soon ish. As, uh, I don't exactly know when that is. Um, Sometime. Yeah. As well as uh, available on the Structurally YouTube channel and the isaradio.com. Always got to drop that link. So make sure you're subscribed. That's uh, for the podcast. Um, and as always, Thank you, guys, and we'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Peace, y'all. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.